I'm just going to dive right into uh, our message, um, praying that God will use what we're going to talk about this morning for His glory and, and to awaken His people. Um, I do believe that this is a wake-up call. Uh, it's it's just a it's a strange season for us as Americans, as the world. It's just it's it's very strange. And so, what I want to try to do is help us um, navigate this time. I, I was I read a quote out of a book. By C.S. Lewis, it's called "The Weight of Glory," and that text or that uh, that quote out of the book is this: It says, "It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us." Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at sea, we are too easily pleased. So I, I want to talk about the idea of a wake-up call because so many of us are distracted and, and we're pleased with things that really don't matter. And it's it's funny how a little chaos and can cause us to somewhat re-examine what's going on around us, to re-examine our own lives. And, and just, I think it's interesting. And the world is still in shock. Uh, America is still in shock over these last, what, I guess three weeks now. We're, we're still asking questions like, why is this happening? You know, what do we do? How, how, why, is this, why is this taking place? What's going on? And I firmly believe, as your pastor, I firmly believe that what's happening is a wake-up call. I believe God is trying to wake his people up, primarily, like I said, his people, the church. And, and I, I believe there's a wake-up call for us. And here's what will happen. A lot of people will say, well, well, now Caleb, Caleb, that that's it's not a big deal. It's just, it's just a virus and... We just need to be patient, and it's going to run its course, and and we'll be fine. They'll have they have what's called the normal biasy this this idea that that uh, everything's normal, and this is just a little bump in the road. And I can I contend that I believe that God is trying to get His people's attention, and because here's the thing, I think a lot of people are asleep at the wheel. So many people are asleep at the wheel, and. So what I'm going to do this morning is I want to forego our normal series in James. I know we've been in James for quite a while now, and I want to forego James this morning, and I want to talk about and I want to address the idea of a wake-up call because um, I firmly believe that this particular event is a wake-up call. God's moving in our day, and he's working through circumstances, um, and I believe that God's moving in, in such a way that we need to pay attention to what's going on. Um, Pay attention to what the Lord's doing in this day. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8, 14 through 18 says this. <clears throat> For if anything that becomes visible in the light, therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. A lot of people say, hey, I'd love to know what the will of God is for my life. Well, I'm getting ready to tell you. Well, I'm not getting ready to tell you. God's word is getting ready to tell you. Verse 18 says, do not be drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what is God's will for your life? To be filled with his Holy Spirit. And I, and I think that now, 
is the time when we need to be walking as wise men and women. We need to be paying attention to what's going on around us. Um, why? Because 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us to be sober-minded and be watchful because our adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And I believe that, that we need to be paying attention. Um, parents say it all, oftentimes to our kids, we say things like this. Um, hey, kids, pay attention. You need, to, you need to listen up. You need to pay attention. Amen? So this is our Heavenly Father telling us we need to pay attention. Um, this week I saw an article, and it got me thinking about this idea of paying attention. I'm going to read a, little, a couple little snippets from that article that I think are very telling and interesting. It says this. What if instead of God taking away the coronavirus, because we know he's capable of doing that, he's allowing it to give us a wake-up call? Now, I want to stop right there, because a lot of people will say things like, now, Caleb, God's not going to use the coronavirus as a wake-up call. That's like, there's no way he's not going to do that. He wouldn't use a play. He wouldn't use a virus to wake his people up. He wouldn't use some sort of weird thing like this. Just don't, no, 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 don't, don't go there, Caleb. Well, the only problem with that is historically the Bible, because God's word is filled with these illustrations where, it's got, where God has used circumstances, animals, plagues to wake his people up. I'm going to use one as an example. Numbers chapter 21, verses 5 through 9. Listen to this. This is interesting. They, the people of Israel, spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of the land of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. And you say, well, Caleb, that's Old Testament. Those people didn't understand. We would never act like that. We would never talk like that. Um, have you guys seen the videos of people in Walmart fighting over toilet paper? Have you seen that? We would. We would. We're we're just like the people in the Old Testament. There's no difference. We, we're just. We have more technology. But I'm going to tell you, we're in the same boat. What do they? They they sinned. What do they sin? They spoke against God and they spoke against their leader Moses. And they said, "Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread. There's no water. We have, and we detest this miserable food. Think about this. That they are saying these things to the God of the universe." So God answers them in verse 6. He says, Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. Hmm. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned and spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray to, your, to the Lord that he will take away the snakes away from us. So here's the thing that happened, is the people sinned, but they realized and they recognized that they sinned, and they repented of their sins. They confessed and repented of their sins, and they came before the Lord and confessed that out loud. And when they confessed their sins, the Lord provided a way out of their, out of the sinful. So, they said, pray to the Lord that he will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. In verse 8, he says, The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look on it and they will live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake and looked on the bronze snake lived. The serpents were sent as a wake-up call from the Lord. 
Because here's the thing. God takes sin seriously. The Lord takes your sin and my sin seriously. And I, I know that a lot of us don't. We're just, it's a trivial, oh, maybe it's just a little white lie. It's not a big deal. God doesn't see it as trivial. God sees it as very serious. And he takes your sin, he takes my sin as serious. And, and God, here's the thing, God didn't take away the snakes, but he provided a way to be healed from the snakes. Now, God has not taken sin out of the world. I know that we live in a sin-fractured world right now. And God, at this point in history, has not decided to take sin out of the equation. Now, there's coming a day when God will take sin out of the equation, and we will have the world and the universe will be perfect and it will be just like the way it's supposed to be. It'll be perfect. But in this moment, we're still sitting in the midst of a sin fractured world. But God has provided a way for you and I to be healed from our sins. Jesus Christ shedding his blood on the cross and being raised three days uh, later out of the grave for your justification and my justification. So, when people say something like, well, God would never use a virus or a plague or anything like that to wake his people up, I believe you're wrong. I believe you're wrong um, because he very well could and he very well would do that. Historically, I looked through the Bible and he did that often because he took sin seriously. Um, something else I saw interesting this week as well. Um, there was another article because when, when these kind of things happen, people start to go, they start looking around saying, what is going on? I, I can't believe this. I, I'm concerned. And so I saw this article, another article this week that said that during the pandemic, religion is on the rise. Religious um, um, searching, searching for religion is on the rise. People are looking for answers. People are concerned. And, and something very similar happened to this right after 9-11. Um, there were multiple Churches that were just—I mean, I remember when I was in 9/11, I was at my church in Oklahoma, and it was a—it was packed for about a month, month and a half. There was a ton of people in the room, looking for answers. They were concerned. They were—they were worried, and 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 rightfully so. There's these are troubling times. We we do need to be trying to find out what the heart of God is. We, we need to just—we need to to be looking after what God wants for us. But. Um, so people packed the houses right after, church houses right after 9-11. And I'm seeing a lot of the same things happen with this event. With this pandemic, there's a lot of things that are happening. Um, I, and we, obviously we can't gather in church buildings. We're gathering online. Um, I, I've seen just a massive rise of men and women who are jumping on these online services and wanting to watch. And here's the thing. I honestly believe that's a good thing. I, I think that's a great and wonderful thing that men and women are jumping online to see uh, what's going on because they are concerned and this is an opportunity for us as pastors to preach the word boldly to, to proclaim the gospel unashamedly um, and, and, and pray that God uses these this technology that we're using to transform the lives of men and women so I believe that this potentially has a, a great there's a great opportunity for people to be shaken awake and I believe that's what God's doing is he's trying to shake folks awake the article I referenced earlier, I wanted to read something else from it. It says, maybe all of the sports that have been canceled is God's way of mending relationships, particularly marriages, families, and those inside the church. Um, here's the honest truth. We as Americans worship the ball. We worship sports. We worship the ball. We absolutely adore these things. We 
We do. And we try to pawn it off and say, oh, no, 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 I'm just a fan. I'm just a fan. But our lives, our lives reflect, our actions reflect something different, that we worship sports, we worship the ball. We will go out of our way to adjust our schedules in order for us to be able to either play sports or watch our kids play sports. Um, we have parents that are willing to spend hours and hours and hours teaching their children the fundamentals of how to play a sport. Um, and we'll, then we'll spend hours and hours and hours going to, uh, going to buildings, going to arenas, going to fields, and watch our children play these sports. We'll sit in these arenas and these places for hours and hours and hours together watching our kids play sports. But... Um, what we often do is we will avoid we will avoid church altogether. But when we do come into church, we gripe and complain if the service goes over an hour. If the service is over an hour, most I can't do this. But we're willing to sit for hours and hours and hours in a football field to watch a game, to watch sports of some sort. We, we we've got this is insane. This is the world we live in. We worship sports. Um, and here's the sad point. When we do come into church and when we do leave, there's no real conversations or real, no real substance or conversations about Christ, about faith, about the Bible, about church in our families. Um, I, I believe that this is a wake-up call for us. And here's what I fear is that no one will really see this as a wake-up call. I just, I don't think we'll see it as a wake-up call. I, I think we'll see this as rather just a bump in the road. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If, if not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. We've been, we've been called by Jesus to examine to see whether we're be, we be in the faith. And I think that this is a perfect opportunity for us to do this. And I think that we can see what we've idolized and what we've worshipped. We're the, we, what we spend time and money and energy and effort on is what we worship. And sadly, for most American families, we love and worship sports. And I think that this is a great opportunity for us to reevaluate and refocus our energies. Um, I want to continue reading another little snippet from the article. It says, maybe closing schools is God's way of giving parents the opportunity to build a stronger relationship with their children and to mentor, mentor them in the way that we as parents have been neglecting. Ouch. Like that was a, that was a tough one. Um, it goes on, it says, maybe with us having to cancel so many social events, God is telling us to slow down and spend time with our families. And here's the thing, I, I know we're busy. I'm a busy guy. My family is busy. And life can just get really, really complicated sometimes with all the busyness and the hustle and the bustle. A meeting here, uh, uh, a gathering here, a sporting event here, this moment, and we just run, 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 run. And we can just get overstimulated and distracted with what's going on. Here's the thing, parents. It is your duty to teach your children about the things of God. It is your responsibility as a parent to be teaching your children about the things of God. It is not your pastor's job to teach them. I, as a pastor, am just simply the over-shepherd. You, dad, you, mom, you, grandma, you, grandpa, are the spiritual influence in your home. 
You're the pastors of your home. Deuteronomy chapter five, or I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter six, verses five through nine says this. Now listen to this. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command to you this day shall be on your hearts. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk to them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Verse 8 says, you shall bind them as a sign on their hands, and you shall, and they shall be as fontlets between your eyes. Now, he's like, what's a fontlet between an eye? Orthodox Jews had um, hats that had little boxes that literally had pieces of scripture stuffed in it. And so as these things dangled in front of their eyes, it would help them remember God's word is ever present in my life, is to be ever present. I'm to be diligently memorizing, knowing, understanding God's word. It was, it was, a, it was to help them understand that God's word is the primary objective of our lives. And so it says, you shall write them on the door posts of your house. Like we should have scripture all through our house. We should have it up in uh, different sections. We have Bible verses um, in different ways, in different art forms all through our house because God's word should be primary, should be a, a focal point of our lives. That's what, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We are to be teaching our children that Christ is the center of everything. And... and And the scriptures tell us that we need to be doing it in the morning, in the evenings, when we lie down, when we walk by the way. We're supposed to be teaching our children often. And like I said, I'm going to continue to say this. This is a wake-up call. And what happens is the enemy distracts us. He distracts us with the world. And we have, the world has been unplugged. We are not in the world. I mean, we drove, we went on a drive the other day. And everything was closed. Nothing was open. And I was just like, my goodness, this is just, this is unprecedented. This has never happened in the, in the history of our country like this. This is just, this is unprecedented. What would it look like if we actually were intentional with our time together? Conversations were intentional. Um, actions were intentional. Relationships with our kids, with our spouses were intentional. Now, here's the thing. I'm not trying to say that we should be, try to have huge theological pontifications where we're um, talking, you know, we even have, sorry, we're sitting down and having Sunday school. I'm not saying that, but I'm simply saying what we need to be doing as um, children of God is we need to be teaching our children about the things of God, talking about um, the things of God, sitting around the table, having dinner together, asking questions about what's going on on in each other's lives. Um, I'm simply stating that we should be willing to invest in our families. Uh, spiritual formation. That, that's what I'm thinking. And the one thing that the devil wants more than anything is he, he's been wanting to do this for a long, long time is to destroy the family. And if he could destroy the, the home, if he could destroy the family, he could destroy the city. If he could destroy the city, he could destroy the state. If he could destroy the state, he could destroy the nation. And man, he's been doing a really bang up job lately. If you look around the world, the, the, the family is being splintered, is attempting to be shattered. And I think this is an opportunity for the family and the church to repent together. So this is what I'm, I'm challenging us. Is we need to be repenting of our sins. We need to be confessing our sins. We need to be honest before the Lord and say, God, what is it that you want for me to be 
looking at? What do you want me to be repenting of? Um, I, I think I think that where we've gone um, lately in our in the, just the twenty years has been has been sad as a nation. Um, God's goodness has been laid out before us as a nation. God's goodness has been present in our nation. We've been blessed materially, and maybe that's a curse to some degree, but God has been blessing us as his people and laying out goodness in front of us. In fact, God's goodness was designed to lead you and I to repentance. But honestly, I think that that's where we've, not where we've gone um, with the goodness of God. Rather, we've um, we've presumed upon the mercy and the goodness of God. We've abused it to some degree in our lives. We've abused the grace of God. And, and I think that that is dangerous, dangerous ground. And if, here's the thing. If God's goodness doesn't lead us to repentance, his wrath surely will. You say, well, where'd you get that from, Caleb? Romans chapter two says this, verses four through five in Romans two. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself, for a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed." Uh, Sam, I read that out of the New Living Translation. Just thought I'd let you know that. <laughs> um, but I, I think that this is, it's so eloquently put here. Guys, God's trying to get your attention. He's saying, listen, if you don't, if you don't wake up with my goodness, if you're not led to repentance with my goodness, then here's what I am going to do. I'm going to, my wrath will bring about what needs to be done, and that's repentance. It's a wake-up call. This is a wake-up call. And we honestly, as a society right now, are doing everything. We're attempting everything and anything else other than following God's commands and desires for our lives. And I'm telling you that this is a mandate, a wake-up call. Lord, The Lord's shouting from the rooftops, wake up! Wake up! And... This is what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to distract you from the Lord's call in your life. Um, when the Lord tells us exactly what he wants from us and we ignore it, that's a dangerous. Here, let me ask you a question. How many of us would love to know what God's desire is for your life? I, I gave you a little bit earlier what the will of the Lord was. What would it look like if you knew uh, exactly what God wanted from, for you? Well, I have the answer right here. It's Psalms 51. And in verse 16 through 17, listen to this. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice that you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. So this is what God wants for his people. God wants his people to repent. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't ignore a broken spirit and a contrite heart. He doesn't reject a broken and repentant heart. He actually receives that and loves that and takes it and says, yes, God, I'm, I'm in. I'm, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so this, is what, this needs to be our 
stances, we need to be saying, God, thank you for the opportunity for us to fall in love with you again. Father, I'm sorry for where I've fallen short. This is what God wants from us. We need to come to realize that this is an opportunity for, an opportunity for us to get right with the Lord. Like, God's mercy is big and great and beautiful in this moment. There's coming a, there will be coming a point when God's mercy is ended. His mercy will end. His grace will end, and there will be only wrath. But we are still sitting in the midst of God's mercy. Psalms 103.8 says this, The Lord is compassionate and merciful. He's slow to anger, and he is filled with unfailing love. His love for you and I is unfailing. Why in the world would we ignore that gift? Why would we ignore that? I think of Isaiah chapter 6, and I'm going to turn over to Isaiah 6. I want you guys to see this. This, I, this story in Isaiah 6 is the world was in chaos in Isaiah 6. And Isaiah went in to check in with the Lord. And he had a vision. The year that King Uzziah died. So there, this was national. I mean, King Uzziah had been king for 50 years. And so the king dies and the, the country is in turmoil. And so Isaiah goes in to see what's going on. He says, okay, I need to check in. So a lot of people are checking in. And I'm trying to tell you that God's still on his throne. How do we know? Because when Isaiah walks in, he sees this vision of God. And this is the vision that he sees. The year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah 6 verse 1. The year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundation of the threshold shook, and the voice of him who, who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, and I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his, in his hands a burnt coal, a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. And your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Guys, this is what I believe firmly needs to happen in our country. We need to understand that God is sovereign. God is sitting on his throne. And, we under, and when we see God as holy and sovereign and just a, the king, and we view ourselves, we'll view ourselves like Isaiah did. Isaiah was the preacher of the day and he pronounced a curse on himself. He said, woe is me for I am lost. And I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. Guys, we live in the midst of, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of men and women with unclean lips. And we need to repent. This is a wake-up call. And look what happens when we do repent. God is merciful. God is merciful. How do we know? Because verse 9 says this, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands a burning coal, and he'd taken with the tongs from the altar, and it touched his mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. This is a picture of what God's grace is in your life. When, God, when Jesus died on the cross for your sins, his blood was shed, and his blood atoned for your sins. It atoned for your sins your 
the travesties that you've committed, the wickedness that you've committed. Your sin is atoned for because of what Jesus did on the cross. And when you recognize your sinfulness and you repent like Isaiah did, God will atone for your sins. But this is the wake-up call, guys. Why would we ignore this? Why would we try to make excuses and say, oh, no, 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 that's not the God of the universe. God would not do that. This is not. Yes, he would. He's trying to get your, your attention. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Like I'm calling on you this morning as your pastor that we would take time this morning. And you're in your home. You don't have to get up out of a pew. You don't have to walk forward. You don't have to do any of those things. I would challenge you as your pastor, sitting in your house, sitting in your kitchen, sitting in your living room, your bedroom, wherever you are, that you would, you would gather your family together. This is what I'm going to do as your pastor. I can promise you this. I'm going to gather my family together, and we are going to pray together, and we're going to ask God for mercy in our lives. We're going to repent where we need to repent. We're going to repent of our unclean lips, our lustful desires, our anger, our bitterness, the things that, that are in front of us. We need to repent of those things. Because that, that is what God wants. How do we know? Because remember we, write, we read it just a few minutes ago in Psalms 51. You don't desire a sacrifice. What do you want, God? What do you want from me? What do you want? The sacrifice you desire, God, is a broken spirit. And you will not reject a broken and repentant heart. So that's, that's my hope for us as the men and women of God in this church. At First Baptist Church, Cedarville, Kansas. Is that we would lay our lives before God, and that we would view this as a wake-up call, and that we would not be trivial with our sins, but rather we would be very, very um, serious. We'd be serious about what God wants for us. I'm going to pray, and then Gabe's going to come over here, and we're going to sing um, a song together. We're going to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. So if you if you know that song, you can sing it with us, but we're going we're gonna to sing together. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your opportunity, the opportunity to be in this place. Thank you for your word, the power of it. Father, may we not make excuses for our lives and our sin, but Father, we would gather together and we would repent of our sins. We would seek your forgiveness. We'd seek your mercy and we would not presume upon it. We would not abuse it, Father, but rather we would desire to see you move in such a way to be um, the mighty God of this universe and the mighty God of our lives. Forgive me, Father, where I have sinned, where I have been um, half-hearted in my, in my approach to you. Father, may I turn my eyes to you. May I look to you as the author and the perfecter of my faith, according to, as, as it's written in Hebrews chapter 12. God, thank you for your grace, and we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.